Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. And let me tell you, you are, you are listening to two very happy men right now. Simon Head and Shamak Sandu. I'm over here in Rochester, England. Sandu is over there in Toronto, Canada. And we're both feeling pretty happy with life right now. Because, yeah, we're both locked down. You know, we can't go out partying and doing all that sort of stuff. But we've got live fights back in our lives. And we're still digesting the uh, remarkable event that was UFC 249. Before we go into all of that, first off, how are things, Sandu? It's been... Uh, it's been a nice few days, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, mate. I'm fantastic, can't complain. And you're absolutely right. Not only is the Brit pack back, but the UFC is back. And excitement is back, hype is back, fan engagement is back. It's just fantastic. It's just the, the overall enthusiasm uh, that I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed over the last couple of days, not just because of how incredibly awesome the fight card actually was on Saturday night, but then just the fallout, the questions, the debate, the opinions. Um, you've got Conor McGregor doing a mad tweet-a-thon yesterday, throwing all sorts of spanners into the works of meritocracy and, and what the interim title should stand for. But that's the business we're in. It's a sport, but it's also entertainment. And when you've got a guy like Conor McGregor, anything can happen. But we'll get to that in a bit. But just the, the overall, I guess, feedback... Um, my biggest takeaway was just the excitement, just seeing people online, uh, being able to enjoy the event myself. And I tell you what, it was the first time during this entire lockdown and quarantine period that I actually felt like it was a normal Saturday night. I, I hadn't really felt like that in, in quite some time. And of course, it wasn't exactly a normal UFC pay-per-view, you know, with fans not being in attendance and all the rest of it. But that aside, just the action, the output, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And along with all of that, obviously the work comes back as well. I mean, you know, being able to actually cover these events and, and you know, the pair of us said that that's how we earn our money, right? If, if there are no fights, work gets a little bit thin. And, uh, you know, I'm sure loads of you will be aware that it's across all industries, people are being furloughed or they're having to take pay cuts or hour cuts or whatever it is. And it's been pretty thin of late. Um, but we had live fights back this weekend and it's as if the whole world was watching. At least that, that's how it felt. Like the whole world was watching this weekend. A, the sports fans who were desperate to watch some live sport. B, the fight fans who just wanted to watch people getting in there and throw down again. And C, all the, all the organisations who are looking to bring their own sports back would have been having a very close eye on what was going on in Jacksonville, Florida this past weekend. Could the UFC put on a show... Could they do it as safely as possible? And I think in the grand scheme of things, they did a pretty good job of it. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the fight, Sandu. And that main event, I know when we lost the Khabib fight, obviously there was an amount of disappointment there. You know, we've been waiting for that fight for forever. But Justin Gaethje's a pretty good substitute to bring in. He's a guarantee of entertainment. But he didn't fight the way that he normally did. He actually came in and fought, he fought well. But he fought smart as well. Gaethje quite often will just plough forward and do and do what he does. But this time, it, it was a much smarter, more savvy Justin Gaethje. And um, I, I was expecting him to be good. Uh, and I was expecting him to be a little bit better, given that he wasn't coming in on such short notice. But I don't know if we were expecting him to be that good. I mean, what was your, what was your take on Justin Gaethje's performance as he captured that interim belt of the weekend? 
masterclass, an absolute masterclass clinical performance. This isn't the old Justin Gaethje. This isn't the berserker. I'll give one or I'll take one to give one rather um, and just kind of put on an entertaining fight for the fans. He's changed things since those two back-to-back losses. And, you know, you've got to give big props to, to Trevor Whitman, I'm sure. But Justin Gaethje's fight IQ has leveled up. He's fighting intelligently. He's fighting with strategy and tactics. And I did not expect him to do what he did to Tony Ferguson. Nobody has done that to Tony Ferguson ever, period. And it's given Justin Gaethje this kind of signature win on his resume now. He's won the interim title. It puts him in line to fight Khabib. And it was just incredible. Just, you know... We were witnessing just one of the all-time great performances in what is a weight class that has given us incredible performances. It was just incredible. And I think Justin Gaethje has opened a lot of eyes amongst you know fans and people that perhaps didn't think he was quite at that tier one level, you know, that Khabib, Tony Ferguson, you know, level of fighter. Well, he's proved to everyone that he actually is. He belongs um, to be talked about amongst the best and... He's now in contention to fight Khabib, which is incredible. That interim title, you know, has given him his ticket to fight Khabib. And that on paper is a mouth-watering prospect only because of what he did to Tony Ferguson. I don't I don't think, you know, a week ago, if you said to me, you know, Khabib and Justin would be fighting, that I'd be giving Justin any chance in hell. But given what he's just done to Tony Ferguson, I have to say... I'm not exactly thinking this will be a complete one-sided beatdown by Khabib. I think it will be a very, very competitive fight. And I would not be surprised whatsoever if Justin would win that fight, just given what he did to Tony. Um, But yeah, going back to the performance, 10 out of 10. And also, I'm sure you noticed it. Did you see the the advice that Trevor Whitman gave Justin Gaethje in between rounds? I think it was after the fourth round. Just to kind of make sure Justin kept his head on, didn't get carried away and just stay the course to see the fight out. And and also give a big shout out to Herb Dean. He he saved Tony Ferguson from himself. You know, sometimes these fighters are too tough for their own good. And uh, I thought Herb Dean did a great job stepping in uh, because Tony was absolutely done. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not lost for words when it comes to that fight and Justin Gaethje's performance, put it that way, Sai. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you said about giving Gaethje a chance against Khabib. I've had a slightly different theory about Gaethje for a long time. and the, My theory has all has been for probably the last year or so that I've always thought that Justin Gaethje was the best equipped guy to beat Khabib, but I never thought that he would actually get into that position. I always, because of the way he fights and the, and the, the style of fighter that he, that, that he would have to beat, to get to Khabib, I always felt that he would end up basically having the career that he's had in the UFC right now. He has some great wins, but then he goes in there with someone who's almost as tough as he is, and they start banging toe-to-toe. Then a fight where, if he used his full skill set, would maybe in maybe be in his favour, ends up becoming a 50-50 fight. And with, with 50-50 fights, sometimes you lose. And we've seen that from him in the past. But I think you put Justin Gaethje... In with Khabib Namagomedov. Justin Gaethje's wrestling credentials are legit. He's a collegiate All-American uh, wrestler, but you just don't see it. But to, to to be able to wrestle at that level, you know how to deal with with takedowns. You know how to keep the fight standing. You also know how to take the fight to the ground yourself. 
it's just that Gaethje hasn't used that in his fights yet. Um, against Khabib, we're going to need to see that takedown defense. And we might even see some offensive takedowns from him as well. Um, this is a whole other level to his game that we haven't seen that much of. The striking we know about, and we know that if Khabib can be prevented from taking you down, then his only other option is to stand and strike. If Khabib is going to stand and strike with Justin Gaethje, I, all my money goes on Justin Gaethje at that point. So I think that this is this is a fascinating, fascinating matchup when it comes around. I wasn't ever convinced that Gaethje would be able to string enough wins together to get there. But now he's had his chance. He's proved that he can evolve his game. As you mentioned, Trevor Whitman deserves a massive, massive pat on the back. I think after round two, um, he was advising Gaethje to stop trying to kill him with punches and to just take 10% off his shots. And then, as you said there, towards the end of the fight, he was advising him to just don't get excited. You are winning this fight. Do not get excited. Don't do anything stupid. Just do what you're doing. If the finish is there, it will come. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, he, Tony Ferguson, Tony Ferguson. If you look at quite famously leading into the fight, there's been images of all of Ferguson's past opponents and how absolutely destroyed their faces have been having shared the octagon with him. It was the other way around on Saturday night. And um, yeah, Justin Gaethje's legit. And the difference in his game in this fight compared to the previous fights tells me that he's ready. And I think he can beat Khabib. I think it would be an outstanding fight. And it looks as if, it was just mentioned earlier this afternoon, actually, Sandu, Dana White talking on a radio station in Chicago. Um, he wants those two to fight in July on Fight Island for the uh, for the for the unified title. And I think Justin Gaethje has since come out and said, "Sod that! I'm not fighting as early as July. I need a bit more time." But who knows? I mean, uh, Khabib versus Gaethje on an island for. For all the marbles at 155, that sounds pretty dramatic to me. I quite like the sound of that. What do you reckon? Mate, sign me up all day, any other, any day of the week, twice on Sunday for that one. Um, it was interesting that Justin wouldn't accept the interim title um, post-fight. He kind of just dismissed it. I think he even threw it away at one point mm. as he was about to speak to Joe Rogan. And so he obviously clearly wants the undisputed championship. That's what he you know wants on his... You know, resume, and you know that's what everyone always fights for—to become legitimate world champion. But then, Conor McGregor sends out these tweets yesterday, kind of saying that he wants to fight Justin Gaethje. And what do you make of that side? Because look, meritocracy, the legitimacy of the title, would make you believe that okay, cool, Khabib, Justin—they should fight. It makes all the sense in the world. And I think the key takeaway from Dana White's comment today about Khabib and Justin fighting on Fight Island is he said he expects them to fight on Fight Island. We've been around this game long enough, Simon, to know that nothing is ever certain, nothing is ever set in stone, especially when you have the biggest draw, the biggest star in the history of the sport weighing in and essentially letting the world know what he wants and what his intentions are. He wants to fight Justin Gaethje next. That's what he said. How did you digest what went down yesterday on, on social media? Do you know what? I, this this may be a little controversial, but for me there was a hint of desperation in it because normally he'll, he'll put out the occasional tweet, but he put eight tweets out in a row. And he was taking shots at everybody at 155 pounds. He had a go at he had a go at Khabib. He had a go at Justin Gaethje. He got quite abusive towards Justin Gaethje, which is bizarre because Gaethje's not that disrespectful a guy. Um, 
He had a pop at Dustin Poirier. He had a pop at Tony Ferguson. So he was having a go at everybody. Um, but yeah, he said he wanted Gaethje. Um, but his, his main goal is to fight Khabib. We all know this. And who knows? I mean, maybe maybe conversations have been had. And uh, Conor has said, look, I'll fight in July. I'll fight on Fight Island. I don't care. Um, Khabib has said he's going to be back for the summer. He'll fight on Fight Island if he can get there. So that puts Dana White in a pretty good position if he wants to exert a little bit of pressure on Justin Gaethje. He can turn around and say, right, Khabib's going to defend his belt in July on Fight Island. And it, I expect it to be Justin Gaethje. And if Gaethje turns it down, Dana can quite legitimately turn around and say, well, Connor's ready. Uh, Connor can jump in and have that title shot and he's still got an absolutely massive fight on his hands. Um, so it puts a bit of a squeeze on on, uh, on Gaethje. But with all the tweets from, from McGregor, it also led me to think that this is a division that's moving on without him now. You know, he had he had his... Uh, he's had two fights at £155, Sandu. We were at the first one back in November 2016 where he beat Eddie Alvarez at Madison Square Garden to become the champion. Even the champ champ, in fact. And then he fought Khabib at 55 at UFC 229 and got well beaten. You know, it wasn't a close fight, let's be honest. So he's 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 one and one at 155 pounds, and he's not he's not come back since to fight at 55. So he's now making lots of noise, and he didn't talk about any 170 guys. He signed off by saying, "After that, I'm going to 170." But for me, I think he's got two or three fights available to him, and I don't think either of them are Gaethje and Khabib. Although it might pan out that way if if this pressure works. I think he should be fighting Dustin Poirier if he wants to fight at 55 to get himself back in the mix. I don't think he should be fighting Tony Ferguson after... I think Ferguson needs to have some time off. So I think the Dustin Poirier fight is the most sensible fight for him at 55. Or he goes and fights Jorge Masvidal for some sort of BMF title. Maybe they have a 2020 BMF title and they do that on the island. Um, That would be an interesting one as well. But... This is McGregor trying to insert himself into a conversation that he's not a part of right now. Um, that's why we had so many tweets. It wasn't one tweet. It was eight. That screams desperation to me. Um, he will get a big fight and it will be a massive fight and he will have his title shot uh, against Khabib at some point. But it did scream a little bit like a child in the corner making as much noise as possible so everybody looks at him. So it'd be interesting to see what happens from here. The thing about Connor is he he always has a great number of options, and with this kind of scattergun approach, taking a pop at pretty much everyone, he's planted all these seeds. It doesn't really matter who he ends up fighting. If he fights Poirier, well, he's he's had a pop at him. You know, just before the fight actually went down, the fight card started on Saturday. He was going back and forth with Nate Diaz, saying, "Hey, Nate, sign the contract." What was that all about? And, I, and, and in fact, of all the available options, that's the fight that I personally want yeah. to see the most next for, 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 for Connor. I think it's the fight that makes the most sense. I like the idea of Marzavdal fighting Kamaru Usman at Welterweight, and it looks like that's the kind of direction, um, you know, things that Welterweight are, are headed towards. I think there's a, a great backstory, and there's obviously, you know, a nice rivalry built up there between Nate and Connor. It's one and one. You put that fight on at some point during the summer. It's a blockbuster fight. Everyone knows about it. Mainstream attention, all the rest of it. It'll do great numbers on pay-per-view. 
And then while that's happening, you have Justin and Khabib do their handle their business. And then if Connor beats Nate, then you know Connor can go and fight the winner of of Justin and Khabib. That's how I that's how I would ideally like to see things play out. It'll be just interesting to see what actually happens. That's that's Khabib. That's Justin. That's Connor. Well, what about Tony Ferguson? So we know Simon that he's got an orbital fracture. So first and foremost. He'll be spending a few months on the sidelines healing from that. Given his age, given the the abuse and the beatdown that he that he suffered on, on Saturday night, where do you think he goes from here? What do you think makes most sense for him next when he does return? And also, do you think we've lost Khabib versus Tony forever? Okay, I'll take that, that last question first. I think we might have done. I think we might have done. I think we've had. I think this is going to be. You know, they'll be doing a thirty for thirty on this in a, in a, in, a, in a few years' time. You know, the fight that never was, and the the ridiculous the ridiculous things that happened to stop these two guys from meeting inside the octagon. Maybe they'll fight one day, but maybe it's after they've both sort of uh, dropped down the pecking order a little bit. Who knows? But I think I think Tony Ferguson right now. I think he needs to take a year off. I think if he were to step back for a year or maybe at least take the rest of 2020 off and maybe come back in 2021, I think that would be very sensible advice to give him right now. Um, he had two weight cuts in a very short space of time, which I think was ill-advised. I know a lot of people raised their eyebrows um, when he when he made weight for no reason whatsoever. Who knows what effect that had on him on fight night. Um, but he took a lot of shots. I think they, I think someone said he took 100 shots to the head. Um, over the course of that fight which is an ins- insane statistic if it's true um, and their shots from Justin Gaethje is one of the hardest punches in the division he needs to give himself a rest he needs to give himself a rest and then when he comes back you just need to look at the division and see where things are and maybe I think if he wants to get back to the belt I think he needs to position himself where he's two fights away so he- his resume allows him to do that I think 12 fights in a row if he comes back, has a tune-up fight, then a contender fight, and if he wins both of those, then maybe he's in a position to go back in for the belt again. But I don't know. It's going to be tricky. It also depends on what Khabib does in the meantime. If Khabib cleans out the division, Tony might jump straight back and find himself number one contender because everybody else who, who could have challenged Khabib's already been in there and been mauled by the guy. So who knows? But yeah, I think the most important thing for Tony right now is to just rest. Um, he'll probably hate people saying that to him because that's not his style. But I think the best thing for him is to just take time off, be with his family, and uh, get better, and then see how he feels in in uh, early twenty twenty one, and then work his way back from there. Knowing Khabib as we do, and knowing how he's talked about legacy for such a long time, do you think that if he's still the champion, if he gets you know through this Justin Gaethje fight, maybe he'll fight Conor again? Do you think, regardless of where Tony Ferguson in, is in his career in the next year to 18 months you think Khabib is the kind of guy that will just say you know what I want to fight you regardless because you were one of the best you know in my division during my time and I, and I need to kind of check that off for myself for the fans for my legacy do you think he's the kind of guy that's got that mentality I think there is an element to him that that, that does I think that's the fight that he he wants it's a, I mean think about it I mean if you've been booked to fight a guy five times and You've trained for that guy probably three or four times of those five, right? And for whatever reason, those fights have fallen through. 
that's got to be frustrating for you. You've been how much tape have they watched on each other? How much have they drilled to face this guy? And to then not have the fight at the end of it, I mean, it must be so frustrating. Imagine revising for a test, Sandu. And then every time you get two days away from test day, they cancel it or they push it back. You know, you drive in test or whatever. I can't talk about that because I was horrific in my driving test. But, um, yeah, imagine that just preparing constantly and then it being pushed back or told, no, you can't do it now. That's That's annoying as much as anything. And I think... It's an itch that Khabib might still want to scratch um, if he if if he if he deals with uh, the challenges that are ahead of him in the next six to eight months. Um, in some ways, I'd really like to see that. I think it would be a good thing for everybody. It would be good for Ferguson because it gives him the shot that he deserves. He's never fought for an undisputed title, Sandy. That's mad, it's, you know. And Khabib, he gets the chance to face the guy who they've been talking about him fighting for so long now. And for the fans who've been waiting for it for so long, um, you know, the worry now is, is will he be getting Ferguson at his peak? And it'll all be about how can Ferguson rebound from this? Some fighters rebound really well. Um, we'll find out how, how well Ferguson does because he hasn't lost in so long. You know, 12, 12 fight win streak. Now we're going to see what he looks like when he comes back. I just, the biggest advice would be don't come back too quick. Don't come back too quick. And then uh, that'll give him his best shot. I'd, lo- I'd still love to see that fight one day. Yeah, definitely. It was good to see Tony in the hospital in, in kind of good spirits. Dancing. He, 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 dancing away. You know, it's good to see him. You know, you could break his bones, but you can't break his spirit. That was my kind of biggest takeaway from that. And he's still a fan favorite. Um, he's still a fighter. People are going to want to watch fight because we know what he can do when he's on top form. Who knows if cutting weight a couple of weeks ago had an impact who knows if the opponent changed i know he mentioned in the um in the post fight uh, interview and some of the comments he made that they were preparing for a wrestling khabib and then they had to change things up and you know some fighters can adapt to that very very well changing you know opponents changing styles changing strategy and tactics and, and all the rest of it and perhaps you know tony couldn't do that uh, given the time that he had to kind of mentally change how he was going to fight uh, Justin when he was preparing for Khabib but that was the main event no no lack of you know action drama stories it it, it is the kind of the money division uh, in the UFC that that lightweight division and it'll be fascinating to see what happens in the coming days and weeks I'm sure we'll probably have something to talk about every single week just on the 155 pound division given the characters and the and the fighters that we have and how outspoken they are and it'll be fascinating to see what the UFC does here. It'll be, I'm, I'm, I'm like every single day, like literally in the last couple of days, there's been tweets from Khabib, tweets from Connor. Justin has something to say about it. Dana White has had something to say about it. So this is very much a developing story. And uh, it'll, like I said, I'm sure we'll, you know, by the time you come to record next week's episode, there'll be some more information to dive to digest and more opinions to share. The co-main event, though, Simon, wasn't lacking any <laughs> interest and storylines and, you know, outcomes either. Henry Cejudo defeated Dominic Cruz towards the end of the second round via TKO, via stoppage. And we can talk about, you know, whether it was a good stoppage or a bad stoppage. But then post-fight, Henry Cejudo decides to retire. And that 
caught me by surprise. I'm sure it caught everyone by surprise. I, I, I mean, you got a guy here who is, you know, take away the cringe gimmick for a second, Simon. He's a fantastic athlete, an all-time great fighter, Olympic gold medalist, two-time champion in two different weight classes in the UFC. And I kind of just felt like he was just getting his gears going. You know, it's fantastic that he had these victories over Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw and, and now Dominic Cruz. But I felt like at Bantamweight, you've got a nice you know list of contenders that I thought he was about to kind of start running through. Uh, and, he, and also, he just seems to get better every single time we see him fight. And for him to kind of just call it a day, I was like, what? I was surprised. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. What was your your take? And, and also, what was your opinion of the stoppage itself? I thought the stoppage was fine. I thought the stoppage was fine. I mean, I understand where Cruz was coming from. He was trying to work his way back to his feet. But he wasn't, he wasn't defending his head. You know, he, he he took something like ten or eleven unanswered shots, um, and he that's ten or ten or eleven unanswered shots after being absolutely walloped by a huge knee that dropped him. So, I've got no problems with that stoppage at all. Um, I understand that he's annoyed because he felt like he was still in the fight, and fighters would rather be knocked out than be stopped when they they still feel that they've got something to give. So I get that. Um, but from 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 a technical refereeing standpoint, if you like, not that I'm a referee, I'm not. I I, I felt that was a legitimate stoppage. I didn't have a problem with it. Um, as for as for Cejudo's performance, I thought it was great. Um, he dealt with Cruz's movement really well. That was the big X factor, really. I mean, the other thing was how much bigger Dominic Cruz looked than than Henry Cejudo. That came as a bit of a shock actually when we first saw them face off and you saw the height difference it's like wow actually there's a big size difference here I wasn't expecting that um, the visual was quite quite jarring when I first saw it but Cejudo did really well I mean he he, he dealt with Cruz's movement really well and uh, started to find out I mean you know the leg kicks were crucial it start, started to limit Cruz's movement just a little bit and then he was able to, to get in there and get the job done as for the retirement the thing here is I mean first off good for him Right, if he if this is a legit retirement and it seems like it is, then he's going out on his own terms. And how often have we said in like the previous old episodes of the Brit Pack? I remember we've talked about fighters and when to retire and all the rest of it. And to go out on your own terms has got to be the dream for any fighter. To go out on your own terms at the top as a world champion is is the absolute pinnacle. So. And he's done that. And I think a lot of people are probably looking at Henry Cejudo's career in as in mixed martial arts and have thought, well, he's only just getting started. You know, he's, he's not been in the game that long um, and certainly not at the top level for that long, really. But what you've got to bear in mind is this is a guy who won an Olympic gold medal in 2006, I think it was. Um, so he's been he's been training and competing at elite level for a long long time right back from his collegiate days into the his his olympic days and then i think uh, he transitioned to mma about four or five years after he he, he won the olympics um and has then worked his way up fought demetrius johnson got knocked out by demetrius johnson then bounced back reinvented himself beat demetrius johnson to win the belt and has then turned into someone who he really isn't to be honest in order to give himself a persona because I've, I've spoken to him long before the whole King of Cringe became a thing 
and he's the he's the classiest guy you could possibly meet. All he wanted to do, he called himself the messenger, and all he wants to do is set a good example for people and be a nice guy. And that wasn't really helping him get over with the media. It wasn't really helping him get over with the fans. And I think he probably sat down with the people around and said, "Well, what you know, what do I do about this?" And then they just told him to be a little bit pro wrestling. And then he brings the snake to the TJ Dillashaw fight and starts messing around with all of that and becomes the king of cringe, telling everyone to bend the knee and all of this, going all Game of Thrones on everybody. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, it used to annoy the hell out of me, I'll be honest. Um, but you're going to kind of miss it now it's gone as well because he, he brought a bit of comedy to proceedings. But he, he's, he's elite. He's absolutely elite. And if you're looking pound for pound right now, He's right up there. He's right up there. Um, and uh, I was talking to, to to John Morgan actually yesterday. We did a, a show for Junkie called Spinning Backlit, and um, he he brought up the fact that no one was that keen on him fighting Jose Aldo. But if you think about it, if he'd have fought and beaten Jose Aldo, and he after after beating Dominic Cruz, let's say he carried on and fought Jose Aldo, he'd have beaten the best featherweight of all time the best bantamweight of all time and in Demetrius Johnson the best flyweight of all time that's a hell of a career and he's an Olympic gold medalist and he's a champ champ in the UFC like no other athlete in the history of mixed martial arts can match that resume in terms of achievement at the very highest level so if he turns around and says you know what I'm done good for him he's done everything there, there is nothing left for him to do so good for him and that's the question. Is this retirement legitimate? Because as it was playing out, I thought to myself, OK, this is clearly a ploy to play some politics with the UFC and, and perhaps get a bigger payday, get a better contract. or Because he has been pretty outspoken about how much he's made or, or lack thereof uh, in his UFC career. And on the other side, I thought, well, OK, you know, he, he, he did talk about Daniel Cormier and, and Cormier missed an opportunity to go out on top when he suffered that loss to Miocic in the second fight, which is why he so desperately wants that trilogy fight to happen, right? And Henry's in a situation where he can go out on top, he's young, he's healthy, he can do something else, whether that's go to the WWE, which he seems to be tailor-made for, uh, or, do, or do something else completely. Then the other, the other part of me thinks, well, historically, retirements in MMA don't tend to stick. Uh, 95% of the time when an MMA fighter retires, they tend to come back, right? It might be six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. I mean, for goodness sake, there's been rumblings of Anthony Johnson, no pun intended, um, about to make a comeback in the UFC, and he retired a couple of years ago, I think it was now. So it'll be interesting to see if we do see him fight again. But if he doesn't, you know, he's got a great legacy. Um, hopefully he's happy with the money he did make. And hopefully he can use what he's done in the UFC combined with the Olympic gold medal, you know, as a platform to do something else that's, you know, lucrative and something that he can still use his talents. Because he's only in his mid-30s, uh, sorry, early 30s, right? So he's still in his athletic prime. So whether he's going to fight again or do pro wrestling or do something else, he can still do all of that. Um, but look, if, if this is legit and he does walk away... I've got absolutely no problem with it. But that being said then, Simon, if it is legitimate, where does the bantamweight division go from here? You've got Dana White who said Peter Yarn is 100% going to fight for the title next. So we've got one side of 
the or we've got one component for for a title fight there already. I'm of the opinion that just because Aljamain Sterling is ranked number two and Peter Yarn is ranked number three as as we currently speak, that makes the most sense. But what's your take? Is that the fight to make? Do you do you want to see Corey Sanhagen get in there? Do you want to see Dominic Cruz perhaps come back and be in another title fight? What's your opinion there? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, if I'm right, I think Marlon Moraes might actually still be ranked above the pair of them. So you've got to factor him into this as well. I mean, Marlon Moraes, um, let's not forget, beat Jose Aldo. Granted, a lot of people thought that Aldo won that fight um, and Aldo was going to get the title shot. So, But Marlon Moraes had Henry Cejudo in big trouble when they fought as well. And it, it took a really, really smart change of tactics and a great comeback from Cejudo to win that fight because he was getting beat um, so I think Marlon Rice is definitely definitely in, in the mix I think Aljo versus Peter Yan is the fight to make first and I think maybe you do Marlon Rice versus Corey Sanhagen on the same card um, and uh, that then protects you from any weight misses and any of that sort of thing so it means you've got a legitimate title fight at the top of the card um, and you've also got uh, a number one contender coming out of the same event on the same timeline as the champion. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and that's what I do. I think um, Marlon Moraes has a knockout win over Aljamain Sterling as well. So, But I just think Sterling has done, has, has, has done what he needs to do to get a title shot right now. Peter Yan, for me, is the best bantamweight that doesn't hold doesn't hold the belt. So I think outside of outside of Henry Cejudo, I think Peter Yan is, is the most dangerous man in, in the division. Um if you're talking stylistically, Yan versus Marlon Moraes would be an absolute banger. But I think Aljo deserves his shot. So yeah, that's what I would do. Aljo versus Al- Aldo versus uh, Aldo. Aljo versus Peter Yan. And Aldo's in the mix as well, by the way. He's 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 oh, still. Oh, stop it! Stop he's there. It. He's there or thereabouts. He's there or thereabouts. He arguably, you know, I, there's five guys there. Um, no hamburger references. Um, there's five guys there who are all legitimately in with a shout. But yeah, Al Jermaine Sterling, Petey Yan, get it booked. Well, look, the co-main and the main event, Simon, there was, there was no lack of, you know, action and, and storylines and angles, things to digest. And those were fantastic fights. But arguably, arguably, the most explosive, blink and you miss it, jaw-dropping fight and moment of the night came when Francis Ngannou knocked out Jarzinho Rosenstruck in around 20 seconds. Madness. And it's incredible and but at the same time this is what we have come to expect of the Predator. Since losing to Stipe and then suffering that uh, loss, that ball, that snooze fest of a fight to Derek Lewis I was there. He's kind of He's, and I was there for the Stipe fight. He's He's gone on and he's not wasting any time. You don't get paid for overtime in this sport, Simon. He is not messing around. He is a man possessed. That's four straight wins. I think the overall time on the clock of all four victories is just a little shy of two minutes and something. And he has put himself right into the mix now. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this kind of Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic back and forth. But... Regardless of what happens there, Francis Ngannou is next in line to fight for the title. He could fight for the title now. If they can't figure things out between DC and Stipe, 
then you have to put Francis in because he's earned it. He's absolutely earned it. Your thoughts on Francis Ngannou, who seems to be putting together a more impressive run on this second stint in his on his uh, MMA and UFC career since suffering those losses than even the first time around. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's terrifying, isn't he? Let's be honest. Um, just watch that knockout. I mean, like from, from, from a technical standpoint, he's throwing massive winging hooks that, you know, you wouldn't teach someone to throw punches like that because you're wide open for a straight shot. But he just makes it work for him. He's so ridiculously powerful. And, you know, this is... He wasn't fighting a mug. He wasn't fighting a tomato can in Jazino Rosa Street. This is, a, this is a very successful kickboxer. Undefeated mixed martial artist with a st- absolutely ridiculous knockout rate. And Francis, I think he took one leg kick off him and thought, nah, I've had enough of this. And just took the guy and sent him to the shadow realm in about three swings of his fist. You know, the first two missed, the third one hit him, and that was it. Game over. Ridiculous. Here's the thing, Sander, and this is the thing that no one's really spoken about yet. We know that the UFC want to book Stipe versus Daniel Cormier, and we know that Stipe, being a firefighter and a paramedic and a guy of substance, um, is putting that job first. That's his day job, and he doesn't want to step away from that and leave extra pressure on his unit um, to go and fight a title fight during a pandemic. So... I understand that and I, I completely understand that and I, I, I hope the UFC does as well. But all this does is it puts pressure on him to, to basically make this fight now. Um, Cormier wants to fight. Stipe wants to fight, but I think he just wants it at the right time. And the problem is you've got someone like Francis Ngannou sitting there who has been very patient in terms of waiting for his shot. But he's now getting impatient because he's it's been ages now and he's starched pretty much everybody else in the division except for Derek Lewis. Uh, he's beaten virtually everybody else on that list. Um, he has no one else left to fight but the champion. But here's the thing that no one's talking about, Sandu. Stipe Miocic tweeted earlier today saying, I would have had this fight already and would have retired by now. Daniel Cormier wants to have this fight and then retire. So we could have a situation... And it's quite likely we're going to have a situation where if this Stipe Miocic-Daniel Cormier fight happens, Sandu, regardless of the result, both these guys are probably going to retire. So who the hell is who the hell is Francis Ngannou going to fight for the belt? Who who is there? Who who's? I mean, this is the time. Come you know, John Jones, come up to the heavyweight division because boy, are they going to need you soon. You know, because who is Francis Ngannou going to fight? Can we get Anthony Rumble Johnson back in the mix? Because he is coming back. He is coming back. Um, I don't know if he's in the testing pool yet, but he is coming back. Um, and he initially said he wants to come back at 205, but who knows? The UFC might say, look, we'll bump your contract. We need another heavyweight wrecker. Get in there at, at 265 for us. Um, but yeah, Fran- this is not a case of the winner, you know, the champion gets Francis next. I don't think either of these guys, either of these guys are going to fight Francis next. I think Stipe will retire, and I think Daniel Cormier will retire, and then we're going to have a vacant title. The most scary man in the UFC standing there rubbing his hands together, going, "Okay, who's going to fight me for it?" And a huge list of people he's already absolutely starched. So, I think the UFC have got a massive problem coming their way in a few months' time. It's going to be mad. 
Speaking of John Jones, just literally a few hours ago, he tweeted that you know before he makes the ultimate move to heavyweight, he wants to have what he calls an exhibition bout at around two hundred and twenty pounds. So, but imagine you're John Jones and you're looking at Francis Ngannou just run through wreck these guys at a heavyweight when you can comfortably continue to make two hundred and five pounds your entire career and keep you know cashing those championship pay-per-view points and defending your title why risk it um it'll be interesting to see what happens and of course you know all everything right now is complete speculation you know maybe daniel cormier will retire when he defeats Stipe. i still there's a part of me that thinks that if dc wins and then john jones says oh i'll come up to heavyweight there's always something simon there's always a a carrot that could be dangled and for miocic Maybe he's putting those, you know, planting those seeds now because he's another one who's been very outspoken about uh, the lack of money and, and being unhappy with what he's been paid previously. So maybe if he goes to beat, you know, DC and they say, right, we want you to fight Francis next. Maybe he's like, well, show me the money. Right. Maybe, and we're getting to a stage now, I think, with fighters and how outspoken they are, especially on their social media platforms that even it used to be after the fight they'd kind of say their piece but now we're seeing a lot of fighters kind of start to kind of say some things on social media before these fights are even taking place and this is a great example like as you mentioned of Steve Pay kind of saying hey you know what I would have already retired if I'd beaten you by now if we had this fight so interesting to see what happens Steve did also actually say though that he has been in dialogue with the UFC and they are trying to work out where he can train where he can you know safely uh, put a camp together in a gym in a facility and they're working on a date so looks like that could be earmarked for sometime in july or august but at some point this summer it looks like we're going to get that trilogy side yeah it's uh it's a fight that i think we all we all want to see um two of the good guys in the sport as well i know um they they don't always see eye to eye but i mean they are they are two of the two of the nicest guys you can meet um in the sport and uh I think uh, I think DC's probably more of a fan favorite than Stipe, because um, I, I think DC's a lot more media friendly than than, than Stipe is. But Stipe, away from the camera, Stipe is hilarious. As as you and I both know, I mean, for, he was a guest fighter in Germany uh, years ago for for a UFC show. I think it was the Yuani and Jacek uh, Jessica Penne fight in uh, when was it Berlin? I think it was Berlin. Um, yeah, I think that's the one. And um, that 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 was, uh, you know, he 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 was great fun there. Um, actually, at UFC two hundred five, um, the UFC held uh, like a media luncheon, and Amanda Nunes was there, Stipe was there, and uh, we went in, and it was literally just a, you know, just just a social as much as anything. And uh, I was sat, it was, I was on the same table as John Gareth A. Davis was on our table, um, Lance Pugmire I think was on our table. And uh, the the fighters kind of rotated around, but we had Stipe with us for most of the for most of the day. Absolutely hilarious! But as soon as you put him in front of a camera, I think that I think the defenses come up a little bit. And obviously, when you're talking to him during fight week, he could give two shits about doing media. He just wants to get in there and get the job done. Talk to him socially. He's he's a he's a hoot. So, but I you know I'd like to see them both both get in there and do it one more time, but. Yeah, don't be surprised if they both retire. I don't. I don't think Stipe has any burning desire to to face Ngannou again. He's proved he can beat him, so there's nothing to worry about there. DC's at the end of his career. Is that the is that the sort of risky 
he will voluntarily take. I think if Stipe, for some reason, couldn't get to that title fight and the UFC stripped him or they decided to make an interim belt and offer it to DC, maybe DC would take the Ngannou fight. But I think if he wins the belt back, I don't think he does anything after that. I think he just says thank you very much, puts the gloves down and walks off into the sunset and his job with the UFC. I genuinely don't know who Francis Ngannou is going to fight next, but I genuinely do think it won't be either of those two guys. So I'm fascinated to see how this all pans out. Yeah, me too. Well, look, we've talked about the main event, the co-main event, and Ngannou versus Rosenstruck. Those three fights were the ones that had the most um, eyeballs and attention and stakes, so to speak. But the overall card was fantastic. I mean, right from the get-go, I, I was I was thoroughly enjoyed the entire card from top to bottom. Did we get, you know, a whole host of finishes and knockouts and subs? No, we got quite a few decisions. But my goodness, were some of those fights entertaining as hell? Were there one or two standouts for you from either the rest of the main card or the prelims that kind of stuck with you post-fight? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if 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 I take you down to sort of really early on in the night, Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa uh, was... I absolutely loved watching that fight. I mean, for a start, it, I, I got this one completely wrong. I genuinely thought that Charles Rosa, with his ATT black belt and with a little bit more experience... Uh, would have enough for Bryce Mitchell but my goodness Bryce Mitchell showed just levels and levels above uh, a BJJ black belt um, he looks so so good I mean he had he nearly submitted Rosa to a twister twice in the space of that fight to even see someone attempt a twister is rare he had two in one fight and he wanted to be the first guy to get two twister finishes I don't think anyone's done that before um, but it's so impressive. I've, it's probably the most dominant grappling performance I've ever seen inside the octagon. The scores were like 30-25, 30-25, 30-24. 30 That's three 10-8 rounds, Zandu. So, I mean, that's... And and he's only just getting started as well. I think he's 13-0 and 0 now. Or th yeah, 13-0 as a result of that win. Um, and uh, he's on the way up. I can't see too many people putting their hands up to fight him. So... Super impressed with Bryce Mitchell, and he's finally going to get his camo shorts from Reebok as well. He bangs on about that after every fight, but now, thug nasty, he's going to get himself some camo shorts. But he's a really interesting character. Anybody uh, remember the story about he severed his own scrotum with a power drill during a, some sort of horrific DIY accident that sounds like something out of a horror movie? Um and uh, they had to shove everything back in and take him to the hospital. And um, he recovered from that. And uh, I guess when you've recovered from that, not much is going to scare you in the octagon. So um, super performance from him. So yeah, that would be one of mine. What about you? Have you got one? We, we can kind of alternate and, uh, and and go through a few because you could almost go through the whole card because every fight had had a story behind it. But yeah, Mitchell for me was one of the outstanding performers for sure. Yeah, um, I, I really liked Vincent Luque's performance against Nico Price. Uh, we spoke about this last week. I was, I was, I picked Vincent Luque to win, um, and you know he is a vicious, violent human being. When he lands, he does rearrange your entire face. If anyone saw the fight and saw what Nico Price's eye looked like, and then went to his social media to see the selfie he posted, my goodness. You couple that with what Vincent Luque did to Mike Perry uh, not too long ago 
and you're going to need some plastic surgery when you come out of Vincent Luque fight, that's for sure. But now I need to see him do that against top 10. This is exactly the criticism um, I brought up about um, Vincent Luque in last week's episode, Simon. We've seen him do this to top 15, top 20, top 25, that you know category of fighter. But when it comes down to the top 10, the, the, the top echelon, the elite of the elite, that's where he's come up short historically. But now, let's see if he can kind of you know, string some momentum and uh, really make a push in what is a, another very stacked division at 170 pounds. So that's one for me for sure, Vincent Luque. Yeah, no, he's he's super impressive. And I think, as you say, like last week, it's I think he has all the tools to do it. I just think he needs to get it. He just needs to put it together. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll... Hopefully we'll see that from him towards the end of this year and early next year. Um, I've got to mention Calvin Calvin Cater against Jeremy Stevens. I think we knew that that fight wasn't going to go to the judges. It was, I mean, Stevens came out throwing absolute haymakers from the very get go, and Cater um, the biggest the biggest criticism and it's a criticism he's leveled against himself. He starts slow. He's a slow starter. It takes him a while to get into his rhythm, but once he does, once he starts letting his hand go. His hands go. He's got some of the the slickest boxing, MMA boxing, um, in in that division. He, he throws really, really nicely put together combinations. He's slick. He's fast. He brings his hands back quickly. Um, he's got a very classic, almost amateur boxing style in the way that he throws his, you know, the way he throws his punches. Um, and uh, he put together some absolutely lovely stuff against Jeremy Stevens. Started to break him down and. Uh, the finish when it came was just a step in elbow and it was absolutely, absolutely massive. Dropped Stevens. The shots on the mat really weren't that necessary. The ref could have stopped it just from the knockdown, but it took a couple more shots on the ground and uh, I think it was an elbow, a left elbow, right, uh, right at the end of that uh, sequence on the ground. Left Jeremy Stevens with a, a massive, massive gash on his forehead that I'm, I'm assuming took quite a few stitches to close up afterwards. Um but yeah, I, as I said to you before the fight, I think I think he's ready. I do think he's ready. The only criticism, as I say, bit of a slow start. If we can, if he gives himself a better warm up in 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 the locker room and goes in there, good to go. Then I think he's a threat to anybody at one forty five. I really do. Um, and uh, you know, we said last week about his fight against uh, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, where had that fight been five rounds, I think I think he would have beaten him. Uh, he was just warming up in round three. Uh, in this fight, he sort of warmed up towards the end of round one, start of round two. So he's getting there. Um, and maybe next fight we'll see him straight out the gate looking really good. But he's definitely one to keep an eye on. I think he'll be he'll be knocking on the door of a title shot within the next within the next two fights for sure. Great performance from him. What about you? Yeah, I mean, a quick note on the Jeremy Stevens-Calvin Cato fight. Jeremy Stevens missed weight by like five and a half pounds or like four and a half pounds. And so that just puts Kelvin Cater's performance up a level for me because he was fighting a guy who was heavier than him, you know, when it, when it came down to officially weighing in. So tip of the hat to him, not only for that, for accepting the fight, but then to put on the performance that he did absolute home run for him. The other fight that I want to talk about, Simon, Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone. Now, I scored this for Cerrone. However, I, I wouldn't call this a robbery. Anthony Pettis officially defeated Cerrone by unanimous decision. 29-28 across the board on all three of the judges' scorecards. 
I scored it for Cerrone, but like I said, I wouldn't call it a robbery. It was one of those fights where there was enough action in each round that you could have perhaps given it to either fighter. How did you score the fight? I thought I thought Cerrone I thought Cerrone nicked it. I thought Cerrone had it twenty nine twenty eight on, on on my card, but um, and you could see from the reaction of both guys, Pettis thought he'd lost as well. I mean, he sort of threw his hands up and went, "Well, I'll take it." You know, I don't think he believed. There were a couple of strange decisions. There were or a couple of strange scorecards during the night, um, but that was. I, I was surprised, and I think Cerrone would be would be pretty miffed at that. I know. We, I, I think. I don't know if Cerrone gets paid win bonuses or whether he gets a, a flat fee for his fights. I know he earned two hundred k from it, um, but I don't know if he got uh, win. You know, wh- you know whether he normally gets win bonuses, but he um, he can feel legitimately aggrieved. I think that he didn't win that fight. I thought, I thought he won that fight two rounds to one. But you know, it was it, it was a close fight. But I don't I don't agree with the decision for sure. It was definitely a must win fight for both guys. I think with Cerrone. I think you have to take him out of that category as someone that the UFC can use to to headline a fight night card. You can definitely throw him in the mix on a, on a pay-per-view main card, maybe a co-main event on a fight night card. But that was a must-win situation uh, for him, especially coming off that horrendous performance against Conor McGregor, which had a, a massive spotlight on him. For Anthony Pettis, though, where do you go from here? Because he's back in the win column, which is great, um, although slightly controversial. You had Dan Hardy, of all people, on the, the open map post-show on BT Sport uh, kind of sort of throw his kind of name into the hat in a, in a weird way, kind of saying, if that Anthony Pettis kind of showed up against me, I think I'd knock him out. And I don't know about you, Simon, but I don't know if you've seen Dan Hardy lately. That mohawk is growing back. Uh, I know he's talked for a very long time about wanting to make a comeback and getting all of the um, the right... Um, authorizations and certificates and approvals from from doctors and medical professionals it wasn't too long ago i think you spoke to him at a cage warriors event uh, and got a bit of breaking news um on that note a have you spoken to dan recently is there any update um in terms of him being able to come back and what do you actually think of that anthony pettis versus the outlaw in 2020 Pettis versus the outlaw on an island. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 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 all about Dan Hardy making a comeback and and, and doing a couple of fights, but he's not coming back um, to do anything uh, lengthy. He wants. He, he I think he I think he told me that he he. I mean, this was two years ago now. I think when he told me this, he said he's got the clearance. He needs to come back, but he also has spoken to me since and has, has said. Um, He's not just going to come back for anything, you know. He's not just going to come back to, to, you know. He's going to go in there with some young whippersnapper and and, uh, you know, derail a young prospect's career, you know. Or and likewise, he doesn't want to be the stepping stone either. But I think if there's a suitable fight, a fight that interests him, uh, a fight that makes sense and that isn't going to overly affect anything else, then I think that's the kind of fight that he would be keen on. So. Um, you know, I think I think uh, I mean one fight that might potentially interest him uh, is Matt Brown. That was the fight that he was supposed to have when he failed his medical and uh, effectively ended his career. Now, now Matt Brown still fights at one seventy, and Dan to me looks like he's a one a one fifty five at this point. I think he's I think he's a smaller 
a, a smaller fighter now than perhaps he was when he fought in the UFC first time round at 170. So I think if he ever did come back, it would probably be at 55. Um, but, um, you know, Pettis can fight at 55 or 70. They can even agree a, a catch weight and fight. I don't know, man. I mean, I'd, for, for, for old time's sake, I'd love to see him. I'd love to see him have one more go. I think Carlos Condit would be a fun fight as well. I mean, you know, we've seen him fight before. Um, and uh, I'm sure Hardy would love to take that one back. Uh, Condit knocking him out. It's a very famous knockout. They both they both landed left hooks at exactly the same time. Um, but uh, I think Hardy was up on his toes and Condit was flat. And uh, he had all the leverage and that knocked out Dan Hardy. That was a... Oh, was that UFC 120? It was a. It was in London, I think. Uh, it was. It was one twenty. I remember because I was there. Yeah, I remember they interviewed him afterwards, and they said what went wrong, and he said I just got knocked out. That's what went wrong. The guy hit me in the head. Um, but but yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to see. I would love to see him in there one more time. But the fight would have to be right. Um, he keeps teasing it, and I don't think he's the sort of guy to tease it just just for shits and giggles. I think if he if he's saying these things. I think he's just putting the seed out there just to let the UFC guys know I am in shape, I am keen to do this. And if you're looking for guys to fight right now, then uh, who knows? Who knows? I might have to get on the phone to him there. You've you've got me thinking. I might have to I, I might have to pick up the phone and have a chat with him. Well I'll tell you what, Sire, that that was everything that I guess we wanted to bring up regarding the fights, but there was one other thing I wanted to speak to you about and kind of share my opinion and take on. As someone that loves social media, I uh, look Sports broadcasts integrating social media posts and tweets isn't new. It's been around for a long, long time. It's been around for years, in fact. But I thought the way the UFC integrated the tweets from fans, from medias of the uh, yeah, members of the MMA media, from from fellow fighters into the broadcast, the amount of screen real estate those tweets took. And, and even, I don't know how they did this, but even incorporating some GIFs that people were tweeting out. And the consistency of, of how many tweets they were showing throughout the entire broadcast. You, you can't replace fans in an arena, but I thought it was a nice way to sh- kind of show the community coming together to watch the event. And I thought it was fun. It didn't really get in the way of of my enjoyment of the fights. I didn't personally find it too much of a distraction. I know that some did, which is fine. Uh, I personally didn't. But I thought that was a nice takeaway. I always like to see promotions and broadcast partners try something new. Um, and I thought that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. What about you? Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was a nice I thought it was a nice little wrinkle. I, I was I was surprised that they carried it through onto the pay per view. I didn't think they were going to do that. I thought it might just be an ESP an ESPN prelims thing, and that they'll they'll leave the real estate nice and clean during a pay per view. But to be fair, they they you know they kept it going. My 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 take on it would be, I think I think for the prelims, I think absolutely go for it. I think with the main card when you've got the real big fights, I think maybe save the social media until between rounds and just drop in some key ones between rounds. But when the really big fights on, I don't think you should have anything distracting people from what 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 they're paying to watch. That would be my only my only tweak. Um, I know some people liked it, some people hated it, and you know uh, that's that's you know it is what it is. But what it did do, it did two things. One, it, it sort of gave a sense of community in terms of all these people watching the fights. But 
they also dropped in quite a lot of celebrity based tweets in there as well and that just acts as an endorsement as well so if you're a first time watcher or kind of a, a, a very a very occasional watcher and uh, you've got these fights on and you see tweets from NFL stars or professional wrestlers or movie stars or stars from music or whatever and they're just popping up over the course of the night and you think okay this sport's pretty flipping popular you know all these superstars who are massive in their own field they're all tuning in to watch this stuff so that then just helps lift the UFC brand a little bit as well in the eyes of people who maybe haven't watched it that much so I think I think from a, a marketing perspective it's kind of smart but yeah I mean that would be my only my, my only tweak I think during the prelims I think yeah run the social uh, stuff I think it, I think it added to the broadcast I think when you get to the big 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 fights maybe just drop stuff in between rounds or maybe just leave it for the you know leave it uh, while well well so Certainly while the fights are in progress, I think, don't put anything on the screen. It always used to annoy me when they drop up. And I always feel sorry for John Anik when he does this. There'd be, there'd be a, a really exciting fight going on and they're back and forth. And then all of a sudden, he's got to do a little ad read for Nemiroff Vodka. Bold character since 1872 or whatever it is. And he, like, there's no introduction to it. He literally just says Nemirov, bold character since 1872. And then they just carry on commentating again. And it, it's weird. It, it doesn't fit the broadcast at all. And I'm sure Anik hates it uh, because I'm sure he just wants to call, call the action. But it pays the bills and that's what you have to do. But I think it's a bit like that. I think when the big fights are on, remove all unnecessary furniture from the broadcast. Get rid of the, get rid of the social and just leave it nice and clean. That would be my take. The big thing coming into this event simon was COVID 19 health and safety protocols testing should this fight event be taking place in the first place and you know there's always a there's a there's a big debate right now and it has been for a while about you know what you can do what you can't do and should sports be back and all the rest of it we did have one fight fall out due to this situation and that was because jacare souza as well as two of his cornermen tested positive and they were able to catch it because they were so rigorous in their testing last week. And they were able to catch it in time and kind of get him isolated and all the rest of it. When you take into consider consideration what happened there, and when you saw the broadcast, you saw the, the social distancing between the commentators, which I thought was a little bit funny because they were social distancing outside of the cage in terms of where they were sitting. But then there was moments in the broadcast when they were kind of standing pretty much right next to each other. <laughs> that was as a weird. Trio, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> to, to do a, a few segments here and there. So perhaps that's something that the UFC can learn because this is new for them as well. They, they're kind of, you know, trying to do the best they can, but I'm sure there were lessons learned that they'll incorporate into the, the, the next couple of fight night cards. But Overall, just taking into consideration what they had to deal with and, and what they implemented and what we en ended up seeing as the final product on Saturday night, what grade would you give the UFC and what were your takeaways with regards to how they dealt with the COVID-19 situation and everything they put into place to to run the show but do it in a safe manner? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're grading the event as a product, I think you've got to give it like an A-. I think... 
because you I'm one of the you can always improve right you can always tweak something um which is why I wouldn't give it an A but they 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 pretty much nailed it mate you know they 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 hit the they hit the event out of the park I mean from a broadcast perspective it looked fantastic I mean you know the way that they the way that they lit the arena it didn't it didn't feel like the show had no gravitas to it. You know, normally you've got the scale of the arena, you've got the packed crowds, and you normally have the big sweeping shots of the arena, and uh, the you know the shots of the fans going absolutely mental in the stands. Obviously, they couldn't have any of that, but this had a much more intimate feel to it. But what you lost with the crowd, you gained elsewhere. So we really, really heard what was going on in the cage, whether it might be. Every left hook that Justin Gaethje landed on on Tony Ferguson, you didn't just hear those shots; you felt them through the telly. You know, um, you could hear the cornermen uh, with their instructions. And uh, who was it? I think it might have been Ryan Spann in the first fight of the night. He was actually having a conversation with his corner during the fight. They were saying, "You've got to do this. You've got to do that." He said, "Yeah, I see it. I see it. I'm going to do this." And and then obviously you had the situation. It was kind of funny with Greg Hardy. Um, was getting his legs absolutely chewed up by uh, Jorgen de Castro. And uh, Daniel Cormier on commentary was like, he's got to start checking his leg kicks. He's got to start checking his leg kicks. And after the fight, Hardy actually, in the post-fight interview, said, I've got to shout out Daniel Cormier. I heard him saying he's got to start checking his leg kicks. So I started checking them and that worked out for me. Um, and so that's kind of weird. And Cormier afterwards was like, we've got to do something about this. I, I can't be coaching the fighters while I'm commentating. This is no good. So I don't know how they can fix that, short of sitting him sitting him on the back row of the stands or something. But um, but I thought I thought the show was an absolute home run. I really did. I mean, in terms of the way that they 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 ran the testing and everything, um, from the best knowledge I've got is that it went it went really well. You know, they can't they can't control the movements of each and every individual person in 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 involvement with the show. So there's going to be instances where people are interacting where maybe they shouldn't be. But that's down to those guys. Everybody needs to be cognizant of what their responsibility is. And they've got to, they've got to, do, you know, they've got to do things properly. Um, but it looks to me like the UFC put everything in place that they could. And the show went off really well. When Jack Ray failed his test, they removed him from the card. I'm gutted for Uriah Hall, um, who obviously was a complete passenger in the whole situation and ended up ended up exposing himself potentially to the risk and didn't get any reward out of it. I, th- I think they I think they both got paid, in fairness, but he didn't get to get an occasion fight. Um, but I thought the show was outstanding. I really liked it. And the fact that there was no crowd didn't really hurt that much. Like It's like watching the old tough fights. But the difference is these fights were really good. These, these are elite guys rather than guys on the way up. I, I had no problem with it. I thought it was, I thought it was a great show. And they're going to look to do these shows at the apex eventually. Uh, I think they were hoping for the twenty third. It might be the thirtieth potentially. They they might start from, but they've got everything in place there. Um, and if if they're going to look like how they looked on Saturday night, I've got no qualms about it. And it's it, it still works on TV because you've still got the commentators doing the oohs and the ahs and getting excited. So that kind of replaced a little bit of the uh, the, the crowd reactions as well. So. You still knew when the big stuff was being landed if you didn't hear it. So um, no, I thought I thought it was awesome. I'll, I'll give it an A minus. What do you reckon? Yeah, similar to what you just said. We've been watching this sport for such a long time. We've seen so many seasons of The Ultimate Fighter, 
and we're not the kind of fans or members of the media or people that are just professionals that work in this business that tune in just for main events or the main card. We're always watching from the very first fight of the night. So we're very much used to seeing empty arena fights anyway. <laughs> first three, first three fights are pretty much like that sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so that wasn't distracting at all. Uh, and like I said, I think all the other extra bells and whistles with uh, the social media pop-ups and, and all the rest of it was was, was great. Yeah, an A- an A- uh, works for me too. There was a major announcement that was made during the broadcast, Simon. George St. Pierre is going into this year's Hall of Fame. An absolute slam dunk, easy decision to make. This guy was a, a champion in two different weight classes. Uh, the greatest welterweight of all time. Never failed a drug test. The two losses on his record, he was able to avenge. He was the poster child, the poster boy for Canadian mixed martial arts. Helped grow the UFC brand in Canada. A bona fide blockbuster box office draw. He, he Top five best selling pay-per-view fighters in UFC history. Easy. And someone that may well fight again one, one day down, down the road. Who knows? But he's going into the UFC Hall of Fame. I thought it was a, a great announcement to make when there was such a massive spotlight on the UFC during the broadcast. It'll be inter- interesting to see how this Hall of Fame this year plays out, whether it's a digital Hall of Fame, whether they kind of wait until the back end of 2020 to actually put on a physical event, um, whether there'll be you know an opportunity to have fans in attendance there or not for that. Uh, or other luminaries of the fight community. But um, your take on, on GSP going into the UFC Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's come as a surprise to a lot of people that he wasn't already in there. You know, I mean, he's he's a legend of the sport, and uh, he's he's one of the nicest guys you can meet. I, a very quick story. I actually doorstepped him once. Um, I was working for the Daily Mirror. This was a long time ago. This is when I very first started covering covering MMA and um, I'd been tipped off that that the GSP was in the country so I rang the UFC press office and said I had GSPs in the UK you know you've got any ideas and they just completely you know sort of deadpan me and said no we've got no idea we've got no idea I'm like okay and he he wasn't doing any official appearances or anything so I'm like okay this is weird so in the end I managed to track him down um, at um, the Roger Gracie Academy in uh, oh crikey where was it it was it, it was somewhere in, in West London and um, the Roger Gracie Academy and I managed to get the number of the guy who ran the gym or, or sorry the guy who actually owned the facility um, who used to be a music agent and uh, I rang him up I managed to, a showbiz showbiz journalist friend of mine actually had his contact so I managed to get I, I got him on the phone and said look can we come down and talk to him he's like well, he's doing he's doing like I think he was training for the Jake Shields fight uh, he was drilling with Roger Gracie. So I'm like, okay, any chance we can come down and talk to him? And he's like, yeah, 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 come down. But I don't think he told George, right? So me and me and my buddy Dan Ferdinand, who I was working with, we just pitched up and, and in we go. Alex Reed was there. Uh, any any long-time UK MMA fans will be well aware of Alex Reed. Knowing that I'd come from a tabloid newspaper, he basically kept as far away from me as possible, which is probably fair enough given the coverage he was getting at the time. But um, eventually GSP finished his workout, came over, had a chat with us and said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd love to have a chat with you. He said, you know, how long have you got? He said, you can have like 20 20 minutes, half an hour. Let's go go sit on the mats and have a chat. 
So we literally just went, sat down on the mats. I chatted to him for about half an hour. Um, and uh, it's still one of my favourite favorite chats I've ever had with the fighter because he, he was so open and honest and I learned so much about him. And um, he was always... When, when I very first started covering MMA, I had to win over the outlets that I was working for because they didn't really get it. And they'd say, but you know, why are you wasting your time covering it? I, I, was, I was the sports editor, so I was doing everything. Why are you wasting your time with this? I'm like, trust me, this is going to blow up. If we start doing this properly, this is going to blow up. And I had to try and sell the sport. And he was the example I used because at the time he was doing, he was doing his strength and conditioning with Linford Christie, Olympic 100 meter champion from from England. He was doing his boxing with Freddie Roach. He was doing his jiu-jitsu with Roger Gracie, the 10 time world uh, jiu-jitsu champion. He was um, he was training with the Canadian Olympic gymnastic team, and at that point there was a story doing the rounds that Canada had asked if he would be interested in representing them in the Olympics at London 2012 as a wrestler, um, and uh, that that was sort of kibosh because he couldn't get out of his UFC commitments to do it. Um, and but to sit somebody down and they say they say you know what are these athletes like? They just like street fighters and I'm like well look here's the UFC welterweight champion right he's about my height he's in somewhat better physical condition than me but you're looking at a guy who's my height and he can do this 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 oh and he's got black belt in jiu-jitsu black belt in karate black belt in judo um and they they, they just sort of look at your open mouth and they're like okay he's, he's quite handy then and then they're like, okay, this guy is really good. I want to see how this guy actually fights. Then you show the way he fights, and he's so clinical and clean in the way he used to fight. And and he's a he's a role model. He was beloved in Canada, still is um, beloved in the UFC, um, and probably the greatest UFC champion, along with Demetrius Johnson, the greatest UFC champion of all time. I would say. Yeah, he's the he's the greatest of all time in my book, in my opinion. And I think if you ask most long-time fans members of the media to list their top three gsp is making the list for some he may be might be number one for others he might be number two number three with demetrius johnson and john jones in the mix and perhaps one or two others but for me gsp is number one and um man i i had had some great memories of of gsp just those those bj pen fights the, the very first prime time was fantastic and the way he ran through that welterweight division it, and and even to seeing him come over to to european fight night events when we were on the circuit there together he, he'd, he'd be there to kind of help corner some of the other tri-star fighters and he was just a pleasure to be around always nice always smiling always friendly didn't really have an ego was just one of the boys just really chilled out and it's just uh it's 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 time that he went into the Hall of Fame. I think it's a it's a great time for him to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, he's the he's going to be the signature inductee this year, without a shadow of a doubt. And and he's he is the the atypical role model of how you can carve a career, be a draw, be a champion, make the most of your opportunities. You know he's done some acting gigs. Um, he's got plenty of sponsorship endorsements post his UFC career already in the in the bank. So he's not going to be hurting for money anytime soon. And he's still a, a valuable member of the TriStar team. He's still coaching. He's still a training partner of Rory McDonald. And 
Olivier or Bin Mercier and a bunch of others over there. So I thought that was cool. It was a, it was a nice uh, announcement. They always tend to make these kind of big announcements during a, a pay-per-view event. So you always have to look out for one or two of those. But you wait for a, a UFC card, Simon, and it's like waiting for a London bus, mate. You wait for ages and then you don't get one. You get a few. You get two or three that's come out once. And we're having our first midweek UFC event. In, in a quite a few years and it's taking place on Wednesday night in Jacksonville headlined by Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira not the sexiest card compared to what we just witnessed on, on the weekend but it's an important fight card uh, some great fights and I guess Simon you, you, you can take it away on this one what is one or two fights that you're you're most looking forward to Give me your thoughts, maybe even a prediction or two as well. Yeah, there's, 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 some, there's some solid fights on this card. There really are some solid fights on this card. The one that interests me or intrigues me the most is the co-main event. Big Ben Rothwell is looking to get get back on get back on form. He's, he's, he's called Big Ben Rothwell for a reason. He is a massive, massive human being. He weighed in today at 265 pounds. So you have one pound left to spare, basically, because it's a non-title fight. He's facing OSP, Ovin St. Peru, who, long-time UFC light heavyweight contender, uh, fought John Jones for the belt at UFC 197. I think he broke his arm in the first or second round and went the distance with Johnny Bones in that fight. Um, OSP's moving up to heavyweight, so I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. He weighed in at 240.5 pounds, so he's effectively put on 35 pounds. Um from 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 his usual weighing um so he's 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 bigger is he stronger and can he do to ben rothwell what he likes to do to so many of his opponents and find a way to submit rothwell with his um his von prue choke as we have to call it now it was the von flu choke but seeing as osp's got more wins by that than, than uh, von flu had then i think uh, it's probably the von prue choke you got two guys with sort of fight-ending submission skills. You got Ben Rothwell and his go-go choke, which was like the kryptonite for everybody for a little bit. And you got OSP with his Von Flu choke, Von Von Pru choke. So that'll be an interesting one. I think the fight of the night will be the fight that goes before it, though. Sandro Alexander Hernandez versus Drew Dober. Uh, Drew Dober is one of the nicest men you could meet in the sport. He's just such a lovely guy. My favorite Drew Dober story: He fought Nick Hine. Um, at a European show. He may even have been in Germany. Um, and he beat Nick Hine. And after the fight, he met Nick Hine's family, including Nick Hine's sister. Um, and uh, then they ended up dating. And I don't know if they're still together now, um, but that was kind of funny. So Drew Dober beat Nick Hine, or, or fought Nick Hine, and uh, then ended up dating his sister straight after. So it was kind of funny. But he's he's... The, just the classiest, nicest guy you could meet. Alexander Hernandez, um, I think, has all the skills to be a potential contender of, of the future. Uh, he, he's really good. Um, he's had a few little uh, road bumps in his career. Uh, he famously was giving Donald Cowboy Cerrone a load of mouth before he fought him and then got and got his backside handed to him, basically. Cerrone kind of big-brothered him a little bit. But um, I, think he, I think he's got a high ceiling for his career, so he's an exciting one to watch. But there's some other good fights on the card. I mean, I've left the main event for you, Sandu, but I mean, there are some other ones on there as well. I mean, what do you think? 
Yeah, the one that kind of sticks out to me is Andre Arlovsky. Uh, it's it's bizarre to me that he's still fighting in the UFC, given his age. He's forty one, and he's only had like one win in like the last four or five. So remarkable that he still managed to kind of keep himself in the mix in the UFC. Without a doubt, he needs to win if he wants to stick around um, in the UFC. He's fighting Philip Linz. We'll see what happens in that one. But like you said, Simon, it's the main event that's uh, going to get all of my attention here. You've got Anthony Smith and he, okay, he lost to John Jones. And you know what? Everyone loses to John Jones. Who, who, who beats John Jones, right? But you put that performance aside and you put that result aside. He's beaten Rashad Evans. He's beaten Shogun Hua, he's beaten Volkan Ozdemir, and he's beaten Alexander Gustafsson. If he gets a win over Glover Teixeira, he'll be 5-1 and one since he moved to the light heavyweight division. And a win on Wednesday night, perhaps one more, and he could be right back in title contention uh, before it's too late. And he's already kind of throwing some you know, fire on interviews and social media back towards John Jones, which is good. That's exactly what you should do. If you're the main event and you're in the light heavyweight division, you're obviously trying to get another fight for the title, trying to get another fight for John, you know, with John Jones. To, so to plant some seeds in, in pre-fight interviews, that gets a thumbs up for me. Good job there. But it's going to be no easy task for him because Glover Teixeira is currently on the best win streak in... Well, if he wins on Wednesday night, it'll be his best win streak in seven years. And I know he's getting up there in age, but if he gets a win on Wednesday night, he'll be third in all-time wins in the light heavyweight division. John Jones obviously has got the most with 20. You've got Ryan Bader, who's second with 15 wins in, in the UFC light heavyweight division. And then if Glover Teixeira wins, he'll have 14. He's been around for a while. Um, I think it's a good fight for him. It's a good fight for Anthony Smith. And uh, if I'm going to make a prediction, I, I think Anthony Smith will win. But it won't be an easy fight for him whatsoever. So that's the main event on Wednesday night in Jacksonville. You got a, a prediction for the main event, Si? Yeah, I like Anthony Smith in this fight. I think the thing with Anthony Smith is I think he's fired up by what happened in that John Jones fight because... That wasn't the real Anthony Smith. You know, he went in there and for whatever reason, he just didn't execute on fight night. And he's been very self-critical of his own performance. And I think Anthony Smith had the sort of the sort of fighting style to kind of disrupt John Jones a little bit and maybe give him a, the sort of challenge that, that he hasn't seen too, too much in the UFC. Because a lot of guys give him quite quite rightly give him, give him quite a bit of respect and, and uh, try and work their way in. But I think Smith is the sort of guy who could potentially just bite down on his mouthpiece and close that distance straight away and uh, see if he can rough up Jones on the inside. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen when they fought. And uh, I think he felt felt like he'd let himself down a little bit at the end of the fight. So I think that determination to get back to where he was, we'll see him, we'll see him do well against Glover Teixeira. I think the key for him here is going to be the stand-up because I think... You don't want to be on the map with Glover Teixeira. You know, he's a very, very good black belt. He's got an outstanding arm triangle choke. Um, and he's used that to good effect on more than one uh, opponent over the years in the UFC. So I think Smith's got handy submissions himself. But I think the key to victory for him is to stay on the feet. He's the guy I would pick uh, to get the win. But as you say, Glover's experiencing some sort of Indian summer in his career right now. So um, he may well... he. 
you know, I wouldn't be that surprised if he won. Uh, the top of the light heavyweight division is pretty competitive right now, and guys can exchange wins pretty easy. But I think my money goes down on, on Lionheart for this one. Anthony Smith gets this one done. Probably on the cards, I reckon. Decision win. Well, we're going to have a lot to talk about when we record the podcast next week because not only will we have that fight card to dissect, but there will be another one on Saturday night um, headlined by Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris. Uh, that will be an emotional occasion, especially uh, for what ha- Walt Harris and, and what he's been through yeah. um, over the last you know few months, which has been um, very well documented. And we'll get into it next week. But before we kind of do our plugs and, and sign off, Simon... I did want to ask you one question. Mike Tyson has put out another post, this time more of a montage of a bunch of training footage. And he signed off on his social media post by saying, I'm back. Not too dissimilar from a post that Evander Holyfield put out where it kind of it was a black and white montage of him training and working out, running and sparring. And, and he said he's back as well. There's lots of speculation about potentially coming back for whether it's a pro or exhibition boxing bout. Maybe it's bare knuckle FC. They they seem to have thrown their kind of name into the mix as as, as suitors for Mike Tyson's comeback fight. But it's there's there's no smoke without fire. We've we've kind of spoke about this before a little bit in in recent weeks that there's something going on, and we we'd both put our money that before the year's up. We're going to see these guys, or essentially, definitely Mike Tyson, compete again for sure. Whether it's against Evander Holyfield, whether it's against Shannon Briggs, or somebody. Whether it's John Fury, my, uh, Tyson Fury's old man, who put out a social media post that asking was amazing. to fight Iron Mike. That was amazing. That was fantastic. That was so good. But um, as someone like myself who's been around the fight game and kind of grew up watching Mike Tyson do the business during the 80s and 90s and... And also, give a shout-out to Mike Tyson. You know, he, As someone that loves first-round knockouts, he, he put Francis Ngannou over quite nicely on social media yeah. on Saturday night by giving him some props for his performance. But what do you make of uh, what's essentially momentum building now towards a Mike Tyson comeback? I think it's kind of tricky, this, because it's like... <laughs> we haven't had any sport for a long time, Sandu, right? And like... Anyone gives us any the mere? I'm going to sit down on Saturday and I'm going to watch for most of my day Bundesliga football because Bundesliga football, the German top division, is coming back this weekend and BT Sport are showing every single game over the week. Uh, sorry, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They're broadcasting all of them. A lot of them are being simulcast, so you have to sort of pick and choose where you watch. I'm going to be watching German football with no fans um, because. That's the kind of lunatic I am, right? Because I just want to watch live sport. NASCAR's coming back. I'll be watching NASCAR. I, I don't mind a bit of my racing. So when Mike Tyson says he wants to make a comeback, if he did this during normal times, I think most people would be like, this guy's lost his mind. What is he thinking? Blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, we haven't had anything for so long. And then Tyson puts out this clip where he... He looks in pretty good shape and he's hitting those pads. It's not just the the fact he's hitting the pad. It's the speed. It's the power. It's the sound he's making when he hits it. And it's the fear in the eyes of Rafael Cordero, the poor guy holding the pads for him, who has held pads for some of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time, looking genuinely fearful for his own well-being. 
while Tyson's hitting these pads. I want to see Mike Tyson fight. I, I feel really bad about that. I, I shouldn't. He's a 53-year-old man. He has no business getting back in the ring. Great to see him in such good shape. He shouldn't be getting in the ring and fighting again. But if he gets in there, am I going to watch? Yeah, hell I am. Of course I am. So if it's going to happen, please, God, let it not be bare knuckle. Right? Because something really terrible will happen in bare knuckle. I mean, like, you don't... I just, I just don't want to see that. And that that all started from a spoof tweet that a load of cowboy media outlets who didn't know what they were looking at um, were just so, so quick to push it out there. Like, yeah, look, look, look. I'm like, no, it's not the real account. Like, um, in, in one of my gigs, I think people were starting to get interested with it. I'm like, it's not real. Leave it. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, it's it's... Yeah, if, if Tyson wants to fight again and it's against a suitable opponent, this is the thing, right? Tyson looks great. I think we can agree he looks great. But he needs to fight another guy who also looks great. Like Evander Holyfield, I don't know how great he looks yet. And also Evander Holyfield, I'm a bit worried about how many punches he's taken as well. I mean, Tyson's taken a fair few himself. But Holyfield, it felt like almost every Holyfield fight was a war. He never used to finish people in the first round. He, well, cer- certainly not in his in his heyday when he was heavyweight champion of the world. Um, so I, I don't know about that, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd watch for maybe a six round six round exhibition fight. Uh, maybe do it for for COVID charities or something, and do it do it in like three months time. Give them three months to get ready, and uh, do it at the UFC Apex. Tyson knows Dana White. Why not stick it in the uh, stick it in the apex? They're all geared up for it. Stick it on uh, stick it on ESPN pay per view. We'll have it over here in the UK, and uh, and maybe watch it like that. But yeah, it's weird, isn't it? This 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 lockdown does things to your head, Sandu. We shouldn't be talking about this, but we're both kind of interested in it. Listen, a mate of mine <laughs> texted me the other day saying. Would you watch this Mike Tyson comeback fight? And I replied, "Do you slow down when there's a car crash on the motorway?" <laughs> that's his, that's essentially my response. Should they be fighting? Absolutely not. Not at their age. But if they're going to fight, we're going to pay attention and we're going to watch. They're, they're going to get our eyeballs. They're going to get our attention. We're going to write about it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to produce some content around it. And yeah, fascinating stuff. Well, again, we'll see how this develops in the coming days and weeks and months. And uh, but yeah, I think 2020. Is going to definitely listen 2020 is already bizarre we've had some highs and lots of lots of lows and bizarre news and things that have happened in the world and it's only right if, if mike tyson was going to come back it will be in 2020 of all years so uh, we'll see how this all kind of shakes shakes out mate what an absolute packed show we covered ufc 249 we previewed a little bit of ufc fight night jacksonville the midweek event We've dissected all the social media bits and pieces with Conor McGregor and, you know, the fallout from the events with Tony Ferguson and Khabib and Justin. And we've talked about Mike Tyson and George St. Pierre going into the Hall of Fame. We've talked about the UFC and holding an event during a pandemic and and how that first event and that broadcast shaked out. So um, we've covered a lot and that probably our most packed episode to date. And uh, yeah, we're back. The UFC is back. The business and the sport is back and... Like we said at the top of the show today, Simon, I think you you and I can both feel the enthusiasm of, of the fan base, not just sports fans, but the hardcore MMA fans who have been kind of frothing at the mouth 
waiting for the UFC to come back and hopefully they've been able to showcase and set an example to the boxing world to the Bellators of the world or the one championships and other promotions in terms of how you can actually execute a fight week and a fight night and try and do it as safe as humanly possible during these unprecedented times but for now we need our listeners to get on the list and that list is the britpack.substack.com that is where we are driving everything we are funneling all of this content through that website so make sure you jump on that website get the link and uh, and subscribe if you haven't already uh, do get ready to, to lend your opinions to the podcast very very soon we're going to start opening up our Substack to allow you guys to comment uh, and we're going to start opening up some threads with some questions and get you guys to actually contribute in that fashion and we'll uh, give you some plugs on air and uh, get your opinion shared that we can then dissect on the show do follow us on our social media accounts uh, the main account for the show is the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram I am at Sandu MMA across all social media platforms. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, do me and Simon a favor. The minute you finish listening to today's show, go to the show's uh, page on Apple Podcasts, drop us a five star rating, give us a review. It really helps us push the show and uh, grow it moving forward. And, and in future weeks, we'll try and plug you guys and share some of those reviews on air as well but fantastic show today simon i was so looking forward to kind of catching up with you and uh i'm smiling from ear to ear because i really feel enthusiastic and, and happy that the ufc is back because we've got lots to a it means we've got our jobs back and we're, we're earning some money again which is always nice that helps uh that that definitely helps pay the bills but it's just good to kind of uh, catch up with you and actually talk about fights for a change yeah, I mean, when we when we first talked about bringing the pod back, we sort of kind of, we kind of said this isn't a bad time to do it because there's no fights happening. It lets us ease ease things back into gear, and then hopefully we might have caught our stride by the time the fights come back. They came back quicker than we expected, and it's it's actually really good. We've actually got stuff to talk about, and it's not we're not trying to squeeze talking points out of a, a, a dull week where we're just talking about an individual tweet from someone or something so um it is very very good to have fights back and uh hopefully you guys enjoyed what we saw at ufc 249 at the week uh, uh, uh sorry at the weekend we've got fights this wednesday night um smith versus Teixeira in jacksonville then they're going back to the vice star veterans memorial arena again on saturday for overeem versus harris we will give you a massive post-fight review show uh, next Tuesday where we will run through both of those cards, give you the full rundown on everything, and throw things forward to the next UFC show, which right now is planned for May the 23rd, which will be the following weekend, uh, and they're hoping to have it at the UFC Apex. Whether that happens or not is still up in the air. They may push it back a week, is, is, is what I've heard. So... Uh, but we will probably have more news on that by then. Uh, plenty, plenty to watch between now and then, and plenty to talk about when we get back on air in a week's time. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I know it's been a long one. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, get on the Britpack.substack.com. Sign up for the mailing list and uh, be a part of the show. Thank you so much for listening.
Cheers to Sandu. We'll be back in a week's time. Enjoy the fights. We'll speak to you soon.